All right, good morning, guys. Good to see you. Happy, uh, and I never know what to call it, happy birthday, happy anniversary. I don't know, five years ago on this Sunday, um, Trailhead had its first service. And um, five years ago on this day, I was, I was starting a sermon series through our five core values, which is what we're preaching through today. Um, and man, God's done a lot in the last five years. He has poured out His grace uh, on this community and on this church and, and on many of the lives in it. And so thank you for sharing that with us and being part of it. Um, man, it has been a huge, huge blessing to lead and to be part of what God is doing. So um, just pausing and saying thanks to God for, um, for five great years. Uh, we are, by the way, going to have our celebration at the end of the month. So mark your calendars, okay? Um, obviously, our space doesn't equip us to have a large celebration. Uh, we rent out the Wildy, and we're going to do that on the final Sunday of the month. We're going to have a single service for the entire church, um, and it's going to be packed. So I'm going to tell you, you're going to want to arrive early. Um, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, so mark your calendars, 10 o'clock at the YLD on the 31st. We'll give you more information. We'll keep reminding you because some of you will show up here and no one will be here. Um, all right, so this morning we're going over to Acts chapter 2. Grab your Bibles. We're going to Acts chapter 2. We're continuing the sermon series. We started, um, well, we're continuing in Acts, but we're sitting in Acts 2. Uh, we started this last week looking at the core values of the early church, the values that drove the early church and how they uh, affect and empower and influence us today. So Acts chapter 2, if you're using one of our Bibles, um, go to page 911, 911. And by the way, if you're using one of our Bibles, if you don't have a Bible of your own, feel free to grab that one and take it as our gift to you. Uh, anything we can do to put the Word of God in your hands um, and equip you to read it is a, a blessing to us, okay? All right, so Acts chapter 2, and we're going to begin in start uh, in verse 42. And they, that is the the believers, um, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. All right, this is an incredible passage, a glimpse into the the vibrancy and the life of the early church. Um, And uh, it gives us a glimpse into what made them tick, right? What made this this gathering work. And, 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 And we get a glimpse because we're told specifically that they devoted themselves to these five key things, right? And so these five key things that they devoted themselves to, in other words, they were the key values that drove their community, um, we have the opportunity to devote ourselves to as well, right? Because we want, um, as much as we can, to enter into the similar experience of joy and grace and generosity and, and the outpouring of the goodness of God as, as like the early church, right? So the five values that we find in, uh, in this passage uh, are truth, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? So the apostles were basically unpacking the Word of God, saying this is where the truth of the Word of God intersects the reality of your life. And so they were listening and thinking about, okay, how does the truth of the Word of God influence and direct and help me live my life to the glory of God and for the fullness of my joy, right? They devoted themselves to the fellowship. That's the one we're going to be focusing on this morning. Um, Fellowship is another word here for community. We'll unpack that a little bit. 
They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, which was a very specific way of talking about worship, right? Because they were talking about the breaking of bread or what we call the Lord's Supper or or we call communion, right? They would get together and they would worship God through the elements. They would often do it around a a love feast or a meal. That was the practice of the early church, Uh, but it was an act of worship as they gathered, right? They devoted themselves to the prayers, that talked about both corporate and personal prayer, that prayer was one of the things that defined um, their, their community together, but also their lives individually. And, uh, and then they gathered in the temple on a daily basis, which means they stepped outside of the safety of their own four walls. They didn't just meet in their homes where it was safe and they saw everybody that was like them and, and only hung out with people who believed like them and talked like them and acted like them. They, they went to the temple where they would have interaction with people that were different from them, who had different beliefs from them. And, and they could share with people um, about the love and the actions of Jesus, right? That Jesus died for them and rose again for them. They could be forgiven and have a relationship with God, right? So they were on mission. They were at the gathering of the temple to share the love of Christ, not just with each other's, uh, others, other, but uh, with uh, the people outside. All right, these are the things that made the early church tick, right? These are the things that, that not only allowed them to survive, but, but thrive. And, and that's honestly against all the odds, right? When we understand what was actually happening in this environment at this time, not just the cultural pressures against them, but the inter- internal pressures and the chaos that we'll unpack a little bit, they shouldn't have survived. This thing shouldn't have happened, right? But, but there was a vibrancy to this community, and these core values are what brought that vibrancy. It's what allowed them to, um, to be healthy, right? And here's the thing. If we're going to have a good church today, if Trailhead Church is going to become the church that God has designed us to be, we need to pay attention to these five core values. Right? We, need to be, we need to be orienting ourselves, devoting ourselves to the same things that the early church devoted itself to, um, if we want to experience what, what the church was designed to experience. Now, this morning we're going to be talking about community. Community is um, probably one of the first things people look for when they're visiting a church. There's a lot of reasons to go to church, right? But one of the prime reasons people show up at church for the first time or visit a new church is because they have a, an internal need and desire for community, right? They want to connect with people. Um, they want to, they if they're believers, connect with people who believe like them and have the same faith as them to be encouraged in their faith. If, if they're unbelievers, they're, they're maybe peeking over the fence into Christianity to find out if this community offers them something that they're not getting in their current community, right? So they're asking, they're showing up and asking questions like, are these people that I could be around, right? You start evaluating that the first time you drive up and you see the people climbing out of their cars and walking in. You, you look at the way they're dressed, you look at their age, you look at and you're like, Is, uh, would I fit here? Would there be a place for me here? Would I feel relationally connected to the people here, right? Those community questions are central to our experience in the church, and they're very, very important because we all need community. We were designed for it, right? God designed us as relational beings, and we need community. Now, here's the thing that I want to unpack a little bit this morning is this. We all need community, but we're actually all our worst enemies to entering into community. We get in our own way, right? It's kind of like exercise. We all like the benefits of exercise, but we don't like the inconvenience of exercise. You know what I'm saying? Like, we all want to have good lungs, right? We want to be able to climb the mountain and not be exhausted. We want a strong heart that beats 
keeps beating, right? Um, we, we want a fit body so that like if we see something like whether it's picking something up and moving it or doing a physical ex- exercise or an activity, we want to be able to physically be involved. We want the benefits of fitness, but we don't really love the inconvenience of have, what we have to do to become fit, right? Uh, it, it's the suffering of, of exercise that gets in the way of us entering into the benefits of good health. All right, here's the thing. That's very true to our experience of community as well. There are benefits, benefits, life-giving benefits that come with community. And the reason most of us aren't experiencing them is because, honestly, um, we've pulled away from the very exercises that would equip us to share in their benefit, right? We get in our own way. So we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. How do we get the most out of this gift called community? How do we value this and actually um, reap its benefit? Now, as we talk about community, like last week when we talked about truth, it's important that we define our terminology right up front, right? Because different people have different expectations of community. You have different ideas of what community is supposed to be like. Um, people come to Trailhead from a lot of different backgrounds, uh, and they bring the, the influence of those backgrounds into their expectations, right? So then when they show up at Trailhead, um, they have certain unstated, sometimes stated expectations and assumptions uh, that are shaped by their previous experiences one way or the other. And they have preferences that come with that. Um, And what I have found when I'm thinking through community, a lot of times community is shaped um, really by size. And and so you end up with with people that prefer small churches and you end up with people who prefer large churches because they really give you different experiences of community and and, and people come to desire um, different aspects of it, right? So if you come from a small church and you like that, you probably really think of the church as family. You, you just really want an experience of family when you come to church. If, if you come from a very large church and you like the, the experience of large church, you're probably thinking more in terms of programs. In other words, there's a, a program or a group that, that meets every um, aspect of, of the, the demographic, right? They, they, they provide services that meet people at different ages and different um, needs. And, and, uh, and so you're looking for... Um, those things to be provided. All right, here's the thing. They both have strengths and they both have weaknesses, okay? And so I think it's worth unpacking that a little bit. People who love small churches do it for a good reason, right? There are real strengths in small churches. Um, There's a very strong sense of belonging in small churches. When you've been in a small church and you're part of that small church, it really is like family, right? Um, And because small churches uh, don't want to lose anybody, they work really hard to keep the people they have, Okay, and so there's this sense in which everybody there is important, and and everybody there is 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 valued, and and so um, it is kind of like going to the the corner bar where everyone knows your name, right? You like to walk in, and everyone's like, hey, you know, they all know you, and they're excited to see you, and um, it doesn't mean everybody really likes each other, right? It doesn't mean everybody's super tight, but it's kind of like extended family. We put up with each other, we find the commonalities that allow us to enjoy the shared space, right? Um, and as a result, small churches tend to be fairly predictable, and they're, they're, they don't change very much um, because there's a need to protect the people you have. There's a strong sense of, of kind of keeping the balance. And as a result, they don't change quickly, and they don't change radically. Um, they tend to be very predictable and very safe. And as a result, people that are uh, risk-averse, people that uh, pervert, prefer predictability, love that strength, and, um, um, and they love the way that, that um, they have the ability to adapt to a certain level of diversity, 
Small churches can invite in diverse people. As long as you have enough commonality, right, core set of beliefs or a core set of convictions, um, they can tolerate a certain level of diversity. In fact, embrace it um, because they love anyone new um, as long as it doesn't disrupt the congruity of what's already there. The weaknesses of a small church, though. A lot of times small churches get so consumed on, on keeping who they have that they become afraid of, of um, change um, and, and afraid of, of challenging conversations. And so that can be dangerous for a newcomer because sometimes a newcomer comes in and, and they don't know where the hidden landmines are. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't talk about that. We don't, you don't, that's a doctrinal error. We don't go into that one, right? It's kind of like when you go to your family meal on Thanksgiving. You know what conversations are safe around the table, don't you? Right? You know, if I say this, I'm going to set him off, which is going to set her off. It's going to be like the, uh, the pinball going off around the table and everything's beeping and hollering. And, and everyone then is looking at you like, idiot, why'd you, you know, we don't go there, right? But you don't know that when you're a newcomer. And so a lot of times in a small church, you discover those things by stepping on them, right? And, and you can get yourself in trouble and you can create a little bit of, of uh, uh, pain points, right? Uh, because they're small, because they have a need to keep everyone um, there's often a difficulty in moving into difficult conversations. They have a hard time with confrontation. A lot of times it becomes this um, balancing act where um, confrontation is avoided. Hard conversations are avoided. Pushing things into the light, avoided, right? Again, think dysfunctional family, right? There are things that we just know are there, but we're not going to push them, right? Because the only thing that will happen is hurt and, and this whole thing might fall apart, right? Um, and as a result, if you push on them, people get hurt and things can turn ugly. Um, and people become very, very defensive um, because a lot of times underlying that sense of family is a very strong sense of politics. Small churches tend to be highly political uh, because everyone kind of knows their place. They know where they stand and, and they have their territories and their circles. And, um, and as a result, they can become um, very protective of those things. The end result is that the small church often becomes consumed with the insider. They're very insider-focused. How do we keep the people we have happy? As opposed to outsider-focused, how do we carry the gospel into the world? How do we reach out into neighborhoods and have conversations with people we don't know, maybe we disagree with? How do we actually listen to people who might challenge us and, and ask us to change in order to effectively share the gospel with them, right? Small churches don't like that kind of adaptation, and so a lot of times they become very internally focused. Large churches, on the other hand, offer a very different set of experiences, right? Um, Large churches tend to be built around smaller groups of affinity because when something gets really, really big, you have to break it into smaller groups for it to function well. And so a lot of times what ends up happening with larger churches, they break it into affinity groups. They very carefully um, and strategically form groups that specialize in um, affinity, right? Life stage groups. So if you are a 20-something single, there may be a group for you. If, if you're, um, uh, if you, if you're you know, uh, a youth, you, you know, student ministry, and you've got all these groups that are, that are specialized and um, uh, tend to be very well run, right? So there's real strengths with come, that come with that, right? Because when you go to a large church, you're probably going to find people that are like you. Unlike a small church, which may or may not have people like you, in a large church, there's almost always somebody like you. Um, and so it's fairly easy to find if you're a 20-something single, a group of 20-something singles. They have similar challenges and similar interests and, and, and similar recreation, availability, all those things with you. Um, they tend to be very friendly to outsiders. 
because there's so many people there that they don't already know, um, they tend to be open to a lot more people, right? And, and so people can come in, and, and it's a welcoming environment, um, and, it, and it becomes less closed. Um, they tend to do well with hurting and dysfunctional people. I mean, honestly, because they have resources, they, they can specialize, right? They can, they can have groups that are specifically for, say, an addiction, right? They have addiction recovery groups. And if somebody went through a divorce and they're just hurting, right? They, they have divorce recovery groups and, and things like that. They have the ability, they have the resources, the manpower, and enough diversity of, of people, enough people there that they're able to specialize and meet people where they are. Um, and as a result, when you go into these churches, you're almost always going to be able to find some ministry or some program or some function that meets you in your felt need. Those are strengths, right? Those are good things. Now, there are weaknesses that tend to come with, with these churches as well, though. A lot of times, these large churches tend to foster consumerism in the people that go there. In other words, people go because they can have their specific needs met, right? I like this church because I have uh, an internal desire and need to be around this kind of people, and you offer me the opportunity to be around people who look like me or, or think like me or, or give me the opportunity to socialize with people that, that um, I like socializing with. And what ends up happening is you end up fostering the Burger King mentality. You guys know what that is, right? Um, Burger, Burger King mentality is, is you, you can have it your way, right? That's their slogan, you can have it your way. And so a lot of times people end up coming to church with this assumption um, that really I can have it my own way, right? I spent most of my, after I became a believer, I was part of a small church and fell in love with it. There were a lot of very good things, a lot of, a lot of unhealthy things. Um, but, but at one point, um, I went to work for The Journey, which is a very large church in St. Louis, I was the family pastor there for two years before coming over here and starting Trailhead. And um, while I was the family pastor there, I had odd conversations that I'd never had at my previous church. Like I had a guy literally contact me. It was almost this specific. I don't remember exactly, but it's pretty close. He was like, I'm a 5'9", blonde with blue hair. I like mountain biking and hiking and rock climbing. I have availability on Wednesday nights, Thursday nights, and Saturday mornings. Is there a group here for me? I'm like, yeah, it's called the church. Um, you should try it. Um, I mean, no joke. That literally, I, I, I was dumbfounded. I had never had that kind of, but that, that's what ends up happening, right? Because if the church is constantly catering to these subgroups of subgroups, affinity groups, where then, then people come to expect, well, then the church really should provide uh, exactly what I want, right? What ends up happening in these environments is they tend to grow very large, but they have a difficult time growing deep. Right? So they can be a mile wide and an inch deep. What I mean by that is you have a lot, a lot of people, but you, you have a difficult time helping those people move into genuine gospel transformation, genuine growth with God. You know why? Because it, it shifts the burden of the church from the people of the church to the leaders of the church. Right? So people stop thinking about being the church and they start talking about going to church. The word church in, in the original language, ecclesia, means the called out people, Right? We are the church. The people of God are the church, not the building, not the place, us, right? And so what ends up happening is when you shift the burden of the church from the people to the leaders, pretty soon the people in the pew are looking to the people in the pulpit to do the work of the church instead of, of, so they're looking to them to provide a service instead of lead a living community, right? Um, there There are a whole bunch of one another's in the Bible right? Love one another, encourage one another, support one another, lay down your life for one another, bear one another's burdens. It means financially and everything else, right? Those are calls for the church to be the church, 
But in an environment like this, a lot of times what ends up happening is the people in the church start looking to the leadership of the church to do those things for them, right? So they shift out of being the church to going to church, right? So you end up with a lot of programs, and a lot of times you end up with less actual human connection and contact, life-on-life challenging stuff. And it can become kind of a non-virtual Facebook where you have many friends but very few actual life-giving relationships, okay? All right, now here's the thing is I'm talking about these churches. I don't want you to hear me saying these are bad churches and we're good, (laughs) right? I'm not saying that's bad, that's bad, yay, us. What I'm saying is there are strengths and there are weaknesses um, in both of those uh, models. And I'm not doing that to condemn. I'm saying, man, how do we embrace the good and how do we avoid the bad? Right? How do we, how do we um, instead of moralizing church size, which is what a lot of people do, well, good church, small church is better, as if morally a small group are better than a big group or a big church is better. It's not. It's what's going on in the church that's better. So how do we figure that out? How do we discover what is good, right? Well, here's, here's kind of what I was thinking about this week as I was digging into this. There's a problem at the heart of many of these weaknesses, and it has nothing to do with church size, but it has everything to do with the hearts of the people who go to those churches, The problem uh, with the communities in these churches is not the size of the church, but the attitude of the people in the churches. I think a lot of times uh, people, and by people I mean us, here's the temptation, we are tempted to avoid the community of the church in a very self-centered way. We're tempted to come to the community of the church and ask, the first question we ask is, what do I get? What's in it for me? How does this make me feel? How is this going to serve me or feed me or help me? So whether it's a small church experience or a large church experience, a lot of times people prefer one or the other, not because they are intrinsically better, but because it meets their preferences and desires better. So what's wrong with this, right? Is there something wrong with having preferences? No. Is there anything wrong with having needs? Absolutely not. We all have relational needs, and and it's important that those needs are met. Um, What's wrong is to assume that the primary purpose of community is to cater to those preferences. What's wrong is when we assume the primary purpose of community is to meet my needs, because it's not. The greatest blessing of community, the greatest blessings of community, Don't come from me getting what I want. The greatest blessings of a community don't come from me getting my preferences or even having my needs met. The greatest blessings of community come from sharing what others need. All right, there was a really, really smart guy one time named Jesus, and and he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive which is something we really like on Hallmark cards. We love on our coffee cups, and we're like, he probably wasn't really serious, right? Because we don't. Seriously, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Would you rather give somebody a billion dollars and be dirt poor or receive a billion dollars? Hmm. I think last night answered that question, right? Um, (laughs) That's right. Um. All right, when Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive, he was unpacking one of the great mysteries of the design of life, something that is not intuitive to us in our sin. It's not intuitive to us in our natural thinking. What he's saying, when he says it's more blessed, what he means is that you get more life. 
more of the fullness of life, the reality of life, the joy of life, the the contentment and the overflowing goodness of life when you live in a posture of generosity instead of a posture of taking. When you are in a posture of generosity instead of a posture of greed, life's better. You get more. Life is a blessing. It is full. And this applies to community. True community isn't about getting. It's about sharing. In Acts 2.42, where it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. The word fellowship there is the Greek word koinonia. It's the word that I'm using community. It literally means sharing. That's what it means. And there are other places in the New Testament, in fact, I'll show you one in a few minutes, where it's translated share. Okay? Um, If you aren't giving to other people to meet their needs relationally, like if you aren't making sacrifices in relationships to meet people's needs, now stick with me. I know this isn't going a direction you like, but stick with me. If you are not giving up your time in ways that are inconvenient and unpleasant, some of you love to give up your time in very specific ways. I'm talking about ways that are inconvenient and unpleasant. When you have to sacrifice personal boundaries of privacy and autonomy, if you are not doing these things, if you are not investing and encouraging and sacrificing and opening up your heart and opening up your home, if you are not giving of what you have so that others may have what they need, you are not experiencing community. Not in its fullness, not in its reality. And some of you are like, Steve, the way you're describing it, I think I'm okay with that. Because that sounds like it's very, very painful. That just sounds inconvenient, right? (laughs) That sounds like exercise. (laughs) Getting up at 5 a.m. to go lift weights and ride bikes, that doesn't sound fun. All right. I know. I know. But here's the thing, you guys. Community costs a lot, but it gives even more. It's the difference between a sacrifice and an investment. All right, what's the difference between a sacrifice and an investment? Right, an investment, you expect a greater payback than what you put out. And I'm going to tell you something up front. This is a long-term investment, but the payback is greater than the sacrifice. It is an investment. Um, look at our passage again, because I want to illustrate this. Uh, remember, in Acts 2, the setting here, it's in, it's in Jerusalem during the time of, of the Passover. So you have uh, thousands of people visiting the city, right, from all over uh, the region that are coming for these, this religious festival. And, and, and so they're coming with different dialects, different backgrounds, different. And, and, and all of a sudden, the gospel blows up in this place. Jesus was raised from the dead, uh, which was kind of important and big. And a lot of people paid attention. And these guys flooded the streets telling people about it. And you had all these believers and they stayed, right? Because if they went home, there were no other believers. They couldn't go home and just join a church. There was no other church. They were the church, <laughs> the called out people of God. That was it. And so it creates all of this chaos, right? And so you have all these people who, who, who need food and they need clothing and they need someplace to sleep and, and they, need, they need their basic needs met. And, and many of them have property at home that they will end up selling so that they can have funds to live. But, but in the meantime, um, they're here, 
right? With needs and demands and, and the rest of this, right? Ben Franklin said that visitors and fish stink in three days, right? Anybody had a long-term house guest? And I'm not, maybe you love them, but it can be challenging, right? It can be challenging. And um, <laughs> it was challenging, right? They had to share their food. They had to sacrifice their time. In fact, take a look at verse 44, because I want to, I wanna, we read through this, I think sometimes we romanticize a passage like this. We're like, oh, that was wonderful. Really? Look at verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Does that sound great? Yeah, really? You know that nest egg you're selling or you're saving? They had it all in common, man, right? All that, your vacation money you've been setting aside, your, you know, your, your special stash of Oreos, right, that are yours and yours only, like they had all things in common, right? That sound great? Like, what's mine is yours. And what, oh, you don't have anything. <laughs> what yours is, uh, yeah, all right, you can just, what mine is yours, right? Okay, take a look at the next verse. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That sounds fun. You know that really nice car you've been saving for and you finally got? Yeah, you could probably do with one that's not quite as nice. Why don't you sell it, buy a cheaper one, and use that money for people who are hungry, right? Um, you know that, that antique furniture that's an heirloom that's been handed down and you really treasure it and, and man, that's worth a lot of money. All things in common. Let's sell it, right? You digging this yet, right? You, you feeling the sacrifice, right? We read through this, we're like, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, that hurt, right? And then look at uh, verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and then breaking bread in their homes. All right, pause there. These people had nowhere to live. So you're bringing in people that are strangers, people you don't know. They're raiding your fridge. They're using your things. They're using your bathroom, and they may not be really clean. They're taking showers, yeah, and you're walking in, you're like, I wonder what towel they used. <laughs> All new towels, right? Seriously, th- this is not convenient. This is not easy. There's nothing about this that sounds fun to me. Maybe you're a masochist. Maybe you're into this stuff. Maybe you love Bernie Sanders, and you're like, yeah, I wish I could just give it all away, Right? And I'm not slamming anybody. I'm just saying, this is not, this is like incredibly challenging for me, right? But look what happens, you guys. Look what happens. Verse 46. Day by day, attending the temple and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Just pause and think about that for a minute. Glad and generous hearts. That's my favorite description in this whole passage. Glad and generous hearts. It speaks, first of all, of them having a fullness of joy and contentment and and, and happiness and purpose, like full, full, full to the point of overflowing, where it's like when you're in one of those good moods and you're in such a good mood, you can't help but smile at somebody. You can't help but share the joy with somebody. You can't help but, but, and it doesn't matter if they're in a bad mood. It doesn't matter if they cut you off in traffic. It doesn't matter. You're overflowing with the joy to the point where it produces within you a generosity of nature toward them. 
all right, this is a case where A plus B doesn't seem to equal C. What I've just read in those previous verses should result in a, in a reduction of joy. The more I have to give, the less joy I should have. The more I have to sacrifice, the more it should hurt. The more I have to give, eventually the more self-protective I become. But that's not what's happening. Or what's happening is, is they're moving into this experience and they're experiencing a greater and greater and greater sense of this gladness, this internal sense of well-being that's resulting in this radical outpouring of generosity. It gets even better. Look at the next verse. Praising God. Huh. Praising God. I just sold my stuff. I just gave up my nest egg. I just sold the extra property I had. I, I just invited all these people into my home and they're making a mess. And they're not praising God out of a sense of duty. They're praising God out of a sense of overflowing gladness and joy and gratitude. And then something crazy happens, right? Praising God and having favor with all the people. <laughs> people are looking at them. And they're saying, holy cow, that dude just sold everything he had. That guy had to give up his privacy. That guy had to invite a bunch of people into his house. This guy had to give up all of his food. Man, he sacrificed his Oreos. And I want some of that. What they have is so much better than what I have. I'm willing to give up everything I have to have what they have. The early church was growing explosively because people were looking into that community and they were saying, you have something we don't have. In our autonomy, in our personal wealth, in our security, in our bounded areas of, of personal uh, protection, I don't have what you have. And I want it. And I'm willing to give up everything I have if I can have some of what you got. That doesn't make sense. But it's what happened. You know what, guys? If one of us had won the lotto last night, this is what we were trying to get. And it's not what we would have gotten. Do you understand that? It doesn't matter how much money you have, you still have the same heart. And maybe that money can distract you for a little while. Maybe that money can entertain you for a little while. And it can amuse you for a little while. Right? Money is great at distracting us from, from the dissatisfaction and the, and, the, and the darkness of our own heart. But eventually you discover at the end of the day that they were merely distractions. We're talking about something here that money can't buy, affluence can't buy, comfort can't buy, fame can't buy. Talking about a radical experience of heart transformation. Where we shift from greed to generosity. We shift from self interest to others' interest. We shift from a dwindling pool of joy that we jealously guard to an overflowing fountain of joy that we can't help but give away. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament that deals with community is in Philemon. Give you a little bit of background to this verse. Um, Philemon is a short little letter. It's a wonderful glimpse into the life of the early church. This is the kind of chaos that the gospel created. Philemon was a wealthy landowner 
and uh, he had slaves. And during that time and in that period of time, that was one of the normal social strata. It was like indentured servitude. Some people actually chose to be slaves lifelong because it was their best way of actually providing an income. It wasn't like American slavery. It didn't have that complete lack of human dignity and dehumanization. Um, often they could work themselves out of slavery. Uh, and like I said, often they would become bond slaves or, or actually voluntary slaves. So you had a slave who was a trusted um, servant in the household of Philemon, and this guy's name was Onesimus. Onesimus, um, Philemon became a believer. And Philemon apparently um, gave a lot of freedom and generosity and grace to his household. And Onesimus used that. He ended up wheedling his way into the inner circle. Um, He ended up stealing from Philemon. We don't know exactly what, but it sounds like it was a piece of family treasure, something that was incredibly valuable to Philemon. He violated Philemon's trust. Um, He ended up making Philemon look bad, not just in his home, but in his community when when he stole from the household and then fled to Rome. The challenge was in Rome, he met Paul and Onesimus became a believer And uh, after he became a believer, Paul talked about the implications of his faith. And Onesimus is like, I need to go back. I need to make restitution. I need to restore this relationship that I violated. And so Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon with this letter. You want to talk about a crazy, complex situation with layers of complexity, social complexity, personal resentment complexity, all this stuff. And this is what Paul says. I pray. In other words, I really think, he's praying that God's going to do this, but he's like, this is it, man. This is the key to this complex solution. You ready? It's the sharing of your faith. That word sharing is our word koinonia. It's community. It's fellowship. What he's saying is, I pray that the community of your faith, in other words, what you have in common in Christ, what you have in common in your experience of grace, what you have in common Uh, now as members of of the church, the called out people of God, may become effective. In other words, that it'll do something for you, right? What's it going to do? It's going to bring you into the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. This is what he's saying, you guys. The challenge of this social situation that requires grace and generosity, that's going to require forgiveness of receiving and giving grace, this sharing of the face, this this place of community, this challenge. Listen to me, what it's going to do, it's going to unlock things in your heart that can't be unlocked any other way. Beautiful things. Here's the thing. When you become a believer in Jesus, you have all the grace of God you could possibly have. You have grace upon grace upon grace. If you've believed in Jesus, you are covered in the righteousness of Christ and you stand in the favor of God. You have all the grace of God. You have all the favor of God. But while you have all the blessings, right? Ephesians says we are seated in the heavenlies, blessed with all the heavenly blessings in heavenly places. It's already ours, right? In Christ, you are not experiencing everything you already have. You have an incredible gift in this thing called grace and you're experiencing a very small part of it, which is why your joy is so small. This is why your, your dynamic experience of forgiveness and freedom is so small. It's why you struggle so much, right? Because while it's all yours, you're only experiencing a small part of it. And what Paul is saying here is this. You want to go deeper in that? You want to taste more of it? This is the key. Moving into genuine, challenging, grace-centered community will unlock an experience of grace in your heart that can't be unlocked in any other way. It will give you a full knowledge of every good thing that is in you for the sake of Christ. 
It's not all in there um, for your good. It's in there first for God's glory. But as God gets his glory, we get our joy. As we become more like Jesus, we become more of who we were created to be. We enter into the freedom and the joy of being what we were created to be. God gets the glory and we get the joy. But the key is community. The payback is absolutely worth the sacrifice. It's a long-term investment that will pay back dividends that are phenomenally beyond anything you can imagine. All right, as we close, kind of bring it here. Um, Last week, I, I talked a little bit about the difference between aspirational values and core values, right? Aspirational values are those values that we like to think we have. <laughs> they are idealistic. We aspire to have those values, right? So I might, have, I might have a value of fitness, but I don't really exercise that much, right? I aspire to it. I know it's a good idea. I wish I valued it more than I do, right? If we're going to experience the true benefit of these values, these can't be aspirational values. They can't just be things we post on the wall and say, oh, yeah, look, we value these things, and then not live them out. So for them to become core values, we have to have core practices. We need to do things that actually increase the value, the actual value of these things in our lives. So what are the core practices we need to put in place to truly value and move into the benefit of community? I'm just going to unpack a few of them, first of all. I'm going to make it pretty simple. I'm going to tell you, you need to be in life-on-life situations. You need to be sharing life. And at Trailhead, the pathway we've set up for that is community groups. So the first thing is is we really need to be involved in community groups, okay? Um, Community groups are our way of taking a large group and breaking them into smaller groups, right? The gathering is awesome. When we get together to sing and worship, it's life-giving, it's encouraging. I hope that it's uh, um, uh, life-giving and encouraging to you. But if that's all you're experiencing, I'm, I'm guaranteeing you're missing out on the best part. Life transformation takes place best in small groups, right? You, you don't get the kind of life-on-life um, koinonia, sharing of life in this gathering that you need to unlock the fullness of the gospel in your life. You need to be involved in in, um, in the lives of, uh, of others. Um, so when we read through Acts 2, um, that's a pretty radical description, isn't it? I mean, they sold everything they had. They had all things in common. Um, I, I don't believe that's normative. That's, I don't think that's the way we're supposed to, to do it all the time. They did that because it was a, a unique situation that had unique demands. Now, if we had thousands of people becoming believers in Edwardsville and they all had to stay we would respond in a very similar fashion. We would do what we needed to do to care for those people, to love those people, to create space for those people. Okay, so we're not in a situation that requires us to, to all move into a giant commune, okay? Um, that's not my thing, and that doesn't sound real fun to me. But it does mean that we need to commit to relationship. And community groups are a way of doing that, of intentionally moving into a relationship with other believers um, so that we can grow. Now, some of you are going to be like, well, Steve, um, I just can't join a community group. I'm too busy. Dude, you don't know my schedule. I don't know your schedule. I know my schedule. I don't know how full mine is. I can guess yours is probably similar. I know. It's a challenge, right? Many of us travel. Many of us work weird hours. Many of us are exhausted um, by, by the busyness of life. I know it can be hard, but I also know it's essential. Absolutely essential. In all of our busyness, I guarantee you make room to eat. 
In all of our busyness, I guarantee you make room to drink. And you probably make room for other things too, right? In all your busyness, you probably make room for Netflix, right? You probably make room for, and that's not, that's great. But here's the thing. If community is as vital to our soul as food is to our body, how can we not make room for it? Right? How can we not make room for it? Community is absolutely essential to our spiritual health um, and to our growth. So we need to make it um, a priority. We have a lot of different community groups um, that meet all around the Metro East. And um, they meet on different nights of the week. Uh, We have some that even meet on weekends. We try to do our best to accommodate the busyness and the craziness uh, of, of our lives, right? To equip you to be involved. And I'm going to encourage you. If you're, if you're here um, and um, you're not part of a uh, community group, um, it's time to do it, right? Like I'm, you're like, well, I'm still kind of checking it out. You know, I know I've been here for a little while, but I'm just, I'm just kicking the tires and taking it for a test drive. I'm cool with that. You can test drive Trailhead Church all you want. Um, but I'm going to tell you what, if you're not experiencing community group life, you're not experiencing Trailhead Church. It's like saying you're taking it for a test drive, but you're driving it around the parking lot of the dealership. You're not getting the full experience, right? So if you're going to test drive it, that's fine with me, but commit to six months and get involved in a community group, right? Like actually get in and, 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 and get the experience, okay? Um, because if this is all you're experiencing, the gathering, I'm telling you, man, you're missing the best part. You're missing the best part. Um, so I encourage you to, uh, to get involved. All you got to do is visit Connection Point, um, and we will help you get connected. We'll at least give you information to start the process and help you. If you're like, dude, I absolutely can't. I work. I mean, the only time I'm not at work is Sunday morning, and that's why I'm here right now. And a lot of times I have to work then too, which is why I'm not. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Sign up anyway. Get connected with a community group because we'll figure out how that community group can connect with you and care for you with all your craziness. You need it more than anyone, <laughs> Right? If you're running that crazy, you need community connection more than, than anyone else. So let us care for you, right? Um, get involved. Don't use it as an excuse not to. So that's the second thing. That, you know, first, get involved, man. Join a community group. That's, that's kind of our pathway to small group, um, genuine life on life, sharing of life experience, right? So don't just get um, Signed up, actually get involved. That's the second one, which seems like it should be part of the first, but it's not. I'm going to make it a second because it's not enough just to sign up. You got to go. Right? Some of you are like, I'm signed up. I go like once a month. And you're treating it like the gathering, right? Where you're just showing up. You get a little FaceTime. You get a little nice elbow rubbing, right? It's kind of like the fellowship churches and those, those you know, like the fellowship hall and those, those small churches. You go downstairs, you smile, you get a drink, a cup of coffee, and you leave, Right? There's no life on life. There's no sharing of, of joys and sorrows. There's no really knowing and being known. I'm telling you, man, you're going to join a community group. Commit. Be in. Like koinonia is sharing. You got to share your life. You got to invite people in, right? We live in a, in, a, in a social media culture, and in this social media culture, we're really, really good at transparency, and we're really, really bad at vulnerability, we're used to letting people see into our lives. We get a little touchy when people want to get involved. We need more than just transparency. Oh, yeah, I'm a mess. You can see my mess from a distance. We need to invite people in. 
to pray for us, to support us, to walk with us, to encourage us, to challenge us, right? One of the greatest blessings of the community is when somebody looks at you and they're like, dude, what's up with that? Why do you have this bad attitude? Why are you walking in this way? Why are you making these choices? Where's God in that, right? Those are good, healthy, life-giving conversations that are necessary for my spiritual health. You need to be involved. You need to be involved. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be intrusive. Um, it's going to be inconvenient. Um, it's going to push on you. Some of you are like, you love to show up and help everybody else. You just love to help people, but you have a really hard time letting people help you. You love to be the one who dispenses the goodness and helps by giving grace, but you have a really hard time letting people in and letting them see your mess, right? We have so many layers of self-protection, so many layers of pride, so many ways we hide in shame. And community calls us into a community of grace where we're not defined by our shame or limited by our choices. We are free to know and be known. It's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be life-giving. But you got to be in for it to actually work. you got to be in. All right, the final thing is this, the context. Um, the context for our community is mission, right? So, so our pathway is the community group. The way you really get the most out of it is by actually committing, being in, right? But not just being in, understanding that you're in for a purpose, you're in on mission, right? The end result of our community groups isn't just to help you become more of you. That's a byproduct. <laughs> the goal of community groups is not to make you feel better about you. The goal of community groups is to be on mission because the call of the gospel is a call to be on mission, right? The call of the gospel is we have a God who's eternal community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three who's, one what, the Trinity. That'll blow your brain. What it means, though, is that He's eternally self-contained in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, an eternal dance of joy, an eternal experience of loving and being loved, knowing and being known, right? God, isn't, God didn't just create the concept of love. He is love. And the reason He is love is because He's self-contained in Himself. He, he experiences the giving and the sharing of love eternally in Himself. He didn't create us because He was lonely. He created us so that we could live in the overflow of the goodness of who He is. And He created us to be relational beings. And so on mission, God sent His Son into a broken world so that He could become the embodiment of that brokenness. When He went to the cross, He took our shame, our guilt, our rebellion, died in our place, paid the penalty we deserved to pay, and then rose again so we could be forgiven and made new. And in that forgiveness, as we believe in Jesus, we are invited back into community with God back into a loving relationship with Him because our sin is no longer a barrier between us, and then back into community with others created in the image of God. That's the mission of community, to glorify the God of community and to experience the presence of God in community. So when we show up, it's not just about uh, me you know, making sure I bring some brownies that everybody enjoys. That's important. I like brownies. But it's me showing up and asking questions like, how's your heart, man? Like, really, how's your heart? How's your walk with Christ? Are you strong and encouraged or are you struggling? And how can I be the voice of the gospel to you right now, which is the voice of grace and encouragement and strengthening? You can't ever become that voice if you don't ever ask those questions. You can't ask those questions if you don't have the relational rent, if you don't know people. 
You're on mission to encourage, to strengthen. That's why it's about giving more than receiving because you're showing up to be on mission, not to be the mission. You're showing up to share the love of Christ. And in the process, as you share it, you experience it on a deeper and deeper level. And you're also sharing it with unbelievers, right? Our community is is a community on mission. So it's not just about loving each other. It's about loving outside, people outside of our community. So if they hear this message of love, right? We're a community on mission. That's the context of our community, which means it's first and foremost a Christian community. I have a lot of people say, well, I got friends, man. I got friends. And that's great, but the reality is friendship is the most fickle of human loves, right? We're friends with people as long as they entertain us and we enjoy their company, and then when they stop, friendship is gone. We're talking about something that that requires a deeper commitment than just, well, they're my friend. This is, I'm I'm actually agreeing to be in relationship with you. I'm actually committing to be in relationship with you, and and I'm going to do it around a commonality in Christ. Not just people I like, not just people I like to hang out with, but people that are strong in their faith or growing in their faith that are helping me be strong in my faith. It is a Christian community that then works out of that love to invite others in. And here's the thing. If we're experiencing the dynamic flow of the love of God in here, people out there are going to want it. If we're genuinely being transformed and having that overflowing sense of gladness that leads to a generosity of life, people are going to want some of that because they're going to see the beauty of love. All right, you guys, I'm going to um, put some questions on the screen, ask you to pray, create some space for God to, I don't know, speak to your heart, encourage you, challenge you, whatever needs to happen. Um, but I'm going to pray for us. We'll go into time of response, and then we're going to share communion in a moment. I'm going to pray for us. Father, I thank you that, um, man, you don't ever give up on us. Um, We are really, really selfish. We are really, really self-protective. We are really, really prideful. And I'm just thankful that you never get to the point where you just shake your head and walk away. As we think we've got it all together, as we think we can solve our own problems, as we think all we need is more money or more autonomy or more privacy or more affluence or more fame. And you're sitting there just shaking your head because really all we need more of is you. We need your presence. We need your love. We need your grace. And then when our deepest needs are met, we can enjoy all the other good gifts you've given us instead of looking to those gifts to do for us what only you can do or to be for us what only you can be. So I thank you for that grace. I thank you you love us in our mess and then you call us out of it. That you've judged your son in our place so that we can stand accepted, loved. And man, we want more of that. We want to taste that deeply. We want to taste it continually. We want to be changed by that because that's what satisfies. That's what fulfills. That's what we were created for. So Father, ignite our appetite for what really lasts, for what really gives life. Give us a vision that is so much greater than our personal comfort. Give us a vision for personal transformation and freedom. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.